Healthy Workplaces, a podcast brought to you by Total Wellness. Well, good day. This is Alan Cole. I'm the host of Inspiring Healthy Workplaces podcast. And our special guest today is Dr. Tom Safranik, who's the state of Nebraska's epidemiologist. Welcome, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here, Alan. Uh, we're here to kind of talk about all the uh, information and media attention focused on measles, but also in general, talk about uh, the value of getting, of any type of immunization that you should get in your lifetime and how uh, that's uh, beneficial and all the misinformation that is circulating um, various means uh, to deter people from understanding how important it is to get vaccinated and uh, if, if uh, and to help make them understand what immunizations do, how they're made, uh, overcome any objections people have, uh, whether they're uh, false or or true. So maybe we can just jump right in since the people are right now, it's, it's the tail end of flu season. And it's also, uh, we're having the largest measles outbreak in the last 25 years to date. And the look looks like it right now, according to the, reports that that's probably going to increase still for the next month or so. So maybe jump right in and maybe talk about measles and, and, and what you think is the you know best way to protect people. Alan, thank you. Um, I would say what public health officials are most concerned about is historical amnesia. If people would only appreciate the improvement in our quality of life, through immunizations, it is without a doubt one of the most fundamental advances of modern medicine. Immunizations first came about around 1800 in the in the 1700s and early 1800s when it was discovered that milkmaids who were exposed to a cowpox virus were immune from smallpox. This launched the vaccine era. We eventually developed a smallpox vaccine that has eradicated smallpox from the face of the earth. This was a devastating infection. If the public were aware of the devastating impact of smallpox and a whole variety of other vaccine-preventable diseases, there would be a rush and an insistence on vaccines at the earliest possible recommended date for vaccine delivery. We are lucky here, uh, situated in Nebraska, there's a very, I would say, a remarkable and intelligent appreciation for the value of vaccines. We have one of the highest vaccine rates in the country in our state. The healthcare community and our population in general have embraced the benefits of vaccine, an extremely cost-effective uh, quality of life improvement that gives you peace of mind. So we're, we're huge proponents of it in the public health community. It's along with things like pasteurization, antibiotics, uh, fluoridation of the water supply. Vaccinations are unquestionably one of the greatest advances of modern medicine. 
So we're, we're big proponents uh, with all of the vaccines, but the MMR is critical at this point. And we do recommend, and I think most states do have that requirement for two doses of vaccine at the time of school entry. So that's a huge uh, uh, benefit and a great uh, safety net. If we're getting that, we, we do not see measles in individuals who've had the two-dose regimen. So when did they, uh, what was the year that uh, they started recommending two doses for uh, kids? They transitioned in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, by about 1992, I believe every state in the country had a school entry requirement for two doses of measles-containing vaccine at the time of entry into kindergarten, first grade by the age of six. And did universities require that as well if you're enrolling in a four-year college or a two-year college that if you're 18 and maybe only got one dose that they would have you get a second dose? In the early, in the late 80s and early 90s, we were having very serious and extremely disruptive measles outbreaks on universities and other places of higher education. And the, the higher education community quickly embraced this given the advantages and the ability to eliminate this massively disruptive event on their campuses. So anyone going through college, uh, if you were enrolling in the early early 90s onwards, you were very likely subjected to a two-dose measles uh, requirement, and you should have that in your health record. Okay. So assuming people have it in the health record, they should feel rest assured that they have adequate p- protection, most likely. That's right. Uh, Again, what what we can say clearly and unequivocally, we strongly recommend two doses of a measles-containing vaccine. We recommend MMR, measles, mumps, rubella. And uh, that is, uh, I would say, a phenomenal guarantee. We never say never in healthcare and medicine and public health. We never say never, and we never talk in absolutes, but it's a a huge benefit and uh, a a virtual guarantee that you're not going to get measles and you don't have to worry about it. So the donor hole that we may be looking at is anybody vaccinated uh, with one dose between the late 1980s and the late 1960s. There is a concern uh, that if you've only had one dose, there is a degree of vulnerability there. And if you want the peace of mind, find out if you've only had one dose. If you've only had one dose, go get a second dose. It's a remarkably benign vaccine, minimal side effects, not much pain at the injection site, uh, and it's peace of mind. So I wouldn't uh, hesitate if if I knew for a fact that uh, I only had one vaccine. I think I'd go get it and just not have to think about it or worry about it. Is there an estimate on the number of that population that probably has n- not gotten both doses? Is it 50% probably or higher of that population that may doesn't re- remember or probably most likely? I struggle with that, you know, and I can't say for sure um, what that uh, degree of uh, uh, vulnerability is, the one dose, uh, what the one dose uh, population. I will say this, if you look at the number, and I think we're over 700 cases nationally, the vast majority of those individuals have had, have had zero measles-containing vaccines. So there is some degree of um, uh, penetration into the one-dose uh, population, but the vast majority of individuals have been 
vaccine avoiders where they have essentially um, ignored recommendations and outright refused to get even a single MMR vaccine. But regardless of the recent outbreak, it wouldn't be a bad idea for people to get that second dose. And now more than ever, maybe just because the, the heightened sensitivity since there was uh, a lot of cases in the in the last month there's no question if you had a single dose of the um, mmr vaccine there's no question that you have a degree of vulnerability there's a certain percentage of individuals who will not have lifetime immunity after a single dose we learned that in the late uh, 1980s early 1990s a single dose doesn't give you the the complete assurance that you get when you get two doses of the MMR vaccine. Okay, great. How long does it take for um, you, the vaccine to work versus like a influenza takes maybe two weeks? How long does it take all, for the measles MMR All these vaccine vaccines take a little time to work, and 10 to 14 days is a general good rule of thumb. We do know that if you've been exposed to measles, if you get a measles-containing vaccine within four days of that exposure, that will serve to protect you. So it takes a while for uh, uh, that live native uh, measles infection to occur. And if you jump on it and get a measles uh, vaccine, an MMR vaccine, within four days of exposure, you're going to be protected. Well, if, if there's a, anybody between the age of like uh, 28 to 50, and they've seen all the media on the news and they think they got one shot when they were a kid, but they're not sure they got a second. Would you say, you know, at your next opportunity, it'd be not a bad idea to get a second. I would, shot I would definitely, be, you know, next time you go to the doctor or next time you have an opportunity where, wherever it is. I would encourage people to do that. Um, we know in certain settings it's required. You need proof of two doses. But for people who aren't in those critical settings, I strongly recommend it. It may not be required, but I strongly recommend it. If you're a school teacher, if you're in the healthcare professions, you need two doses. Um, there's, a, there's a number of those kind of uh, uh, settings where it's required to get two doses of an MMR vaccine. Now, if somebody's, uh, their job requires them to travel abroad, is there any concern uh, that they should worry about, especially right now with the measles, that they're traveling to certain countries, that they should you know, make sure they got that second dose I, for I sure? Strong, I strongly recommend anybody doing international travel at this point in time. Uh, Europe is seeing sizable amounts of measles. Other countries uh, are not nearly as well vaccinated as the United States, so once you start seeing measles circulate like this, it is such a highly contagious virus that it really seeks out and soaks up the, the, the under-vaccinated and the non-vaccinated. And we're going to see for the foreseeable future here, uh, the next few months, we're going to see ongoing uh, measles transmission. If you're traveling overseas, I'd want that peace of mind. You don't want, any, want an international trip disrupted, uh, going through airports, being on airplanes, and then uh, overseas exposure, whatever you're doing there. I strongly recommend two, two doses of MMR for anyone doing international travel. Let's talk about the transmission a little bit. How, how is it transmitted and why is it so uh, scary in some sense that you know it can spread very quickly and easily 
and that why it, it's even probably even more important to get vaccinated if you don't think you've been vaccinated or have only one vaccine versus an influenza vaccine, which spreads, but maybe not as spreads as quickly and easily as measles. Public health scientists spend a lot of time studying these kinds of issues. And what we know is that it's highly variable from one infectious agent to another. And so you're right. If you have influenza, it's not nearly as infectious as measles. The troubling thing about measles is it's highly infectious and it travels on airwaves as it floats around in the air and it can linger suspended in the air for up to two hours. So if an individual has been in a room, an individual who's shedding the measles virus, somebody with a measles infection, that virus will be shed and will remain in that room such that for the next two hours, any non-immune person going in that room is at a high risk of developing measles. It's probably the most infectious virus around. And the fact that it travels on uh, air currents, uh, it can move through uh, air handling systems. It can move if you're on the second floor. People on the third floor who are non-immune could get infected from an infected person on the second floor. It's just been a very, very nasty virus. So to go back to the largest outbreak in the U.S. that was in a uh, near New York in the New York City area. Do you know any information on how was there one or two initial people that were in a group like in a public uh, building that, you know, 50 people were exposed right away. And then those 50 people went back to their family homes or is there any information on how it spread and how quickly to give you an idea of how quickly it can spread too? I don't know if as a, as a case, case I haven't actually that. gone and drilled down and looked at uh, the individual out, outbreak circumstances. Uh, it happens so commonly and it's so predictable. Uh, one individual comes back with uh, measles from some exposure. I believe we had individuals tra- traveling overseas in areas where measles were circulating. They brought it back and they were in communities where there was a strong tendency to vaccine avoidance. And you had a a sizable non-immunized population, and it was just like throwing a match into um, a a dry uh, pile of uh, sticks. Uh, It just exploded. And um, the concern, again, is when you have those kinds of pockets where you have sizable numbers, you get an outbreak, and uh, then it moves from there. Why do you, what is in the, what kind of information are people getting or misinformation are they getting about vaccine uh, that they think that they don't need to get vaccinated for any reason, for any type of uh, vaccine, vaccine preventable? This whole phenomenon gives me a new appreciation for this concept of fake news. There's tremendous amount of misinformation about the impact of vaccines on health. The public health scientists and the vaccineologists study this very, very carefully. We're looking for benefits. We're looking for harms. We're looking for vaccine failure. It's intensely studied. There's a massive investment made in tracking the efficacy of vaccines and the side effects of vaccines. So we know a lot about it. And if you have any sense of appreciation for our ability to study and learn and benefit from an investment in 
science, there's no better area where we've done this than vaccine research. Uh, we look for uh, long-term side effects, short-term side effects. Um, I have a huge amount of confidence in in vaccines in general, in our whole vaccine vaccination system, and particularly in the MMR vaccine for prevention of measles. So uh, what are the biggest uh, myths that you've heard in relation to measles right now? Is there any specific prevailing myth that people are spreading um, from some unknown source that maybe doesn't There's a exist? lot of uh, those uh, out there. I almost don't even like to mention them and give any credence whatsoever to them. There are no substantiated and documented side effects from the measles, the MMR vaccine. And we know, and this is an incredibly important point, we know vaccines don't prevent, pick your disease, heart attacks, cancer, Alzheimer's, um, attention deficit disorder, alcoholism. The vaccines don't prevent those. Those are going to be happening regardless of whether or not you got a vaccine. They are endemic in the population. And to attribute any of those to having received an antecedent vaccine is unlogical and it's, uh, it's faulty thinking. You can't attribute some condition to a vaccine without doing an adequate study and comparing the occurrence of that condition in the non-vaccinated versus the vaccinated population. And we do those studies routinely. We're good at it. It's baked into our system as we develop vaccines and decide whether they're safe and whether we can go public with them and uh, go population-based with them to give them to the entire population. So everybody, always, everybody's looking, well, I got a vaccine the other day, and maybe that's the reason that this happened, and they try to play that association game. And then somebody says it to somebody else, and then it turns into something that it was never intended to be. But I imagine that's what happens. You know, you get that almost groupthink type of mentality, and then people think, well, if this happened to me, it's going to happen to somebody else. And 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 then it becomes a life of its own, and then it it, it uh, it's it a big problem. You know, we do our best to educate our population. Uh, it's a it's illogical thinking. Um, it's a it's a, a a logical fallacy. I think the Latin name for it is post hoc ergo propter hoc. After this, therefore, because of this, it's faulty logic. Just because something happens after an antecedent event doesn't mean the antecedent event caused it. And, and that kind of thinking is rife amongst the anti-vaccination crowd. Right. So I hope in the very least we educated. Is there anything we can transcend to, you know, since flu season is just starting to wind down, is there anything learning points that we can gain from the, this measles outbreak that will help people think about getting a flu shot this coming year based on this year was the one of the longest in recent memory uh, as far as flu seasons go. It's 21 weeks currently or maybe 22 weeks uh, long. And uh, is there anything that, that will reinforce people that, you know, maybe if they never got a flu shot or they don't get a flu shot every year, maybe it would be good, good, good to think about getting this 
uh, a flu shot this fall if they've never or don't regularly get influenza is a nasty infection it kills a lot of people every year 20 30 40 50,000 people a year die from influenza depending on the season we know the best way to prevent influenza is through a vaccination we have alternative supplemental measures but the best way to prevent influenza is through a vaccination i will underscore our the beauty of the mmr vaccine in that it is essentially 100% protective for your lifetime if you get those two doses I wish we could say that for influenza. Vaccine researchers are spending a huge amount of effort to develop a once-in-a-lifetime influenza vaccine. We're not there yet. Influenza mutates tremendously every year. We have to adjust our vaccine every year, and whatever vaccine we come up with, they're never as effective as the MMR vaccine. Having said that, it still remains the best way to reduce your chance of getting influenza. So we do recommend the annual influenza shot. Get in the habit. uh, Get it every year. Uh, We're going to keep people out of the emergency room, out of the hospital, and we're going to prevent a lot of deaths if we have a wider penetration of influenza vaccination in the population. Right. So it just tells you, um, you know, vaccinations are valuable. And people shouldn't assume that they're going to have some side effects that are going to reduce the value of getting that vaccination because by far the benefits outweigh any short-term inconvenience or any short-term That's correct. minor, minor That's correct. pain or discomfort. So, yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd like to shed light on as far as measles or vaccinations in general, just to anybody that may be listening to this podcast. At some I would point. just encourage your listenership to appreciate the benefits of living in the era that we live in where vaccines are so widely prevalent and to think what uh, previous generations uh, over the millennia had to endure that we are spared. It is one of the greatest advances of modern civilization. And, and I myself am incredibly appreciative of, the work and the development of science and and uh, the public health system to to get these uh, uh, launched and and made part and parcel of our civilization. I agree. It's kind of like we're almost uh, we're so used to being we're almost loaded to sleep that we think, well, it hasn't happened for a long time, and we don't realize why it hasn't happened for a long time. And if we kind of rest on our laurels, things are bound to come back and they're going to bite us in the butt. So we have to always realize where we came from. Uh, otherwise we're going to end up in the, the circling back to what we opened the conversation with historical amnesia is a terrible thing. Yeah. Well, thanks Tom. Um, again, uh, Tom Serfranek is the state of Nebraska epidemiologist. He's uh, quite uh, knowledgeable on vaccines and why they're important to our public health. And I appreciate Tom's time. Alan, thank you very much. Joining us today.